Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. If you've got your Bibles... Please grab them and and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And we'll be reading verses 9 to verse 14. Miles just read that a few minutes ago in our service. And I'm going to read it one more time for us. Luke chapter 18. And when you get there in your Bible, why don't you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 18. Verse 9 says... He also told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, would you use your word to show us your heart today for sinners? Would you teach us today that that we fall in one of these two categories? And would you help us to see ourselves as you see us so that we might be made right with you through Jesus? God, we want to love you more and more. We want to love you with our heart. We want you to love you with our soul and our mind and our strength. And we want to do that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. We, we, we are going to start a series, we started it last weekend, about faith. Different aspects of a faith that pleases God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, I think it will be on the screen for us, says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so, that we, talk, we said last week that that leads me to a question. Okay, God, if... It's impossible to please you without faith. Then what is a kind of faith that pleases you? Describe that faith for me so that I can exhibit that faith in my life. And today, we're going to see the kind of faith 
that pleases God. And I want you to understand in this text today, humble faith. Humble faith is the kind of faith that pleases God. Humble faith is the kind of faith that saves and justifies. And that's what I want you to see out of this text. And so we want to... I love Luke and what he does. And in verse 9, Luke, he, he's, he's writing for me. And let me tell you why he's writing for me. Because I'm sometimes slow on the get-go. I'm slow on the, the pickup. And so I need a little help sometimes. And Luke really, really tells us why a lot of parables are written. In chapter 18, verse 1, he tells a parable. He says, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's what we looked at last week with persistent faith. And he's telling them why they're that Jesus is giving this parable. And in verse 9, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Treated others with contempt. And so what we see in this passage is that very purpose portrayed through Jesus' parable. Two men, verse 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, let's just... Get this out from the very beginning. Who should be the hero in the story? The Pharisee should be the hero in the story. But who is, in fact, the hero of the story? The tax collector. Now, I need you to understand, if you're a Jew, and if you are in the time of Jesus telling this parable, and Jesus starts out with, there were two people that went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, you go, yeah, that's our guy, he's on our team. And one a tax collector, you say, boo, to that guy. Now, we need to understand that the Pharisee, one of the most respected uh, professions of the day, a tax collector, one of the most hated professions of the day. Well, what's, what's, what's so wrong with a tax collector? I need you to understand that a tax collector is essentially a traitor. Trading, uh, being a traitor against Israel, taking taxes from Israel, giving money to Rome. Now, that's the worst of the worst. You're taking taxes for your very enemies. Verse 10 goes on, it says, One Pharisee and a tax collector. At 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector back there. God, I thank you that I'm not like them. I, I want you to hear something. This is the Ryan Perry version of the Pharisees' prayer. God, I thank you that I am just so marvelous. I am pretty incredible. God, aren't you thankful that I'm on your team? What would you do without me? Do you hear it in there a little bit? God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. Those are the normal, average, everyday people. But I am head and shoulders above them all. I thank you that I'm not like any of these. But in fact, I, I, I fast twice a week. You only ask us to fast once a year. <laughs> but not me, God. I fast twice a week. Do you see it? Did you see it? Last week it was really hard when the donut wagon was at Hochstetler's on Wells Highway. It was really tough to fast that day. But I did it anyways, God. I give tithes of everything that I get all the way down to the littlest herbs of my garden. I give to you, Lord, 
I want you to see in this, this man's prayer in the temple, all that's recorded of him through Jesus' parable is how great he is. There's no, no request, no petition, no supplication, no intercession. He's not asking God for anything. Why? Because he seems to himself that he has everything that he needs. There's no honor for God, no glory to God. No even God, thank you for all of the things that you have given to me. Nothing. God needs to do nothing for this Pharisee. In fact, I don't need you because it seems as though I've done it all myself. Now, what do we call this sin? Pride. Pride. Pride is a dangerous sin. And the sin is revealed in the prayers of the Pharisee. Pride is, in essence, trusting in yourself rather than trusting in God. Pride is being self-sufficient rather than trusting in the Lord. And the problem in this scripture, the, Luke sets it up and he says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That they were righteous. Now here's the problem that I've found with trusting in myself. And I just need you to know this is a, a slippery slope and an easy sin for us to slide right off on into. Each and every one of us. A lot of theologians say that, that pride is the root of all sin. Realizing that, well, I don't really need God. And here's how it reflects itself in my life some days. The problem with trusting in myself that I am righteous. Here's a couple questions. When is my righteousness enough to please God? When is my righteousness enough to please God? The answer is never, of course. And so he's trusting in himself, and so he lays out before God a, a laundry list of all the good things that he's done, in a sense as if he's saying, God, do you see how wonderful I am? I'm trying real hard. I'm living for you. I'm honoring you in all of these ways. And it's almost like the words of the prophet Isaiah would come to his ears, and he, and he would hear in Isaiah chapter 64 that your righteousness is like filthy rags in my eyes. But he doesn't hear it. He's completely oblivious to it. And in fact, that's what pride does to us. When is my righteousness enough to please God? And the answer is never. You can try and try and try to please God and to live in a way that will be righteous enough for him. And you will never make it. It is a vicious cycle. Second, if I'm going to live righteous and I'm going to trust in my own righteousness, here's the question for me. Do my future righteous deeds make up for my past sinful ones? Do you know if I were to live perfectly the rest of my life, and how many of you know that's not going to work out very well? If I were to live perfectly for the rest of my life, that doesn't undo the sins that I have haunting me in my past. Are you with me? Amen? There are sins of my past that can't be undone by the righteous deeds of my future. 
So if I'm trusting in my righteousness, how do I know that I've done enough to get into heaven? How do I know that I've done enough? Can I give you that answer? You'll never know. Can you imagine living your life with the uncertainty? You know that death is coming. You know that there's one thing that's inescapable for all mankind, and that's death. We can't get past it, can't get around it. Death's coming. There's either heaven or hell after that. Can you imagine living with the uncertainty of where am I going to go when I die? Well, I'm just trying to be good and to do good and to be righteous. When is enough enough? How do you know that you've crossed the line? You've stepped over the, the edge into enough. And the answer is, you will never know. Can you imagine living in that place? Let me tell you, trusting in your own righteousness is a trap from the enemy, not a gift from God. The, another question for us if you're trusting in your own righteousness is, what is my standard of goodness? What is my standard of goodness? To whom am I comparing myself? Who's the Pharisee comparing himself to? God, I thank you that I'm not like all the other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, even that tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like them. And what we see is the Pharisee in this story who's trusting in his own good works and rather than trusting in God and in doing so, he's looking down with contempt on other people. We realize that the Pharisee in the story has the wrong standard. He's got the wrong standard. What's he doing? He's measuring himself in comparison to other sinful human beings. And that is the wrong standard. What does the Bible say about standards? Well, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this. It says that all have, fall, or have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some versions in that uh, text will say, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. There is a standard by which that mankind will never raise up to, that mankind can never reach. Are you with me, church family? There is a, a standard that God has that we can never be righteousness enough or righteous enough or good enough to raise to that standard. And that's the problem with trusting in ourselves. And when I compare myself to others, I, I see other people that seem to be getting it all right. And I kind of idolize them. We do that sometimes. That's one of the problems with Facebook. If you're not, how many of you are not on Facebook? You are the smart ones out there. Bless your heart. Thank you for leading the way, right? The rest of us have problems. Due to Facebook. See, one of the things that happens on Facebook is on Facebook, you always post religious stuff. If you always post religious stuff, what does that make people think about your life? That you're always what? Religious. Your head's always in the right place. And then we look at families. What kind of pictures do we post about families? The ones where we're all sitting smiling, 
laughing, cutting up, hiking at a waterfall, right? What do we not show? The meltdown in the car on the way. The threats that happened, they were like, if you don't get happy, I'm going to kill you, you know? Smile, we're going to church. We don't show that. And so we look at things like Facebook or social media and we idolize people who have the look of having it all together and we do that too and we're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. And then we demean those that we see ourselves as inferior to or inferior to us. We demean other people. We look down and we say, gosh, I'm thankful I'm not like them. Honey, have you seen so-and-so? They are just a mess. Bless their hearts. I'm glad we don't have the kind of problems that they have. They must be real big trouble. And we, we look down on others, and we look up to some. And it's all based on perception because we're comparing ourselves to the wrong standard. So what is the standard? The standard is God himself. The standard is God's holy perfection. I want you to understand something. There's a theme throughout the Bible. How many sins did it take for mankind to, to, to accomplish before they were cast out of the very holy presence of God? One. And it doesn't seem all that bad to me. They're eating fruit. Like if it was a Cheeto tree, that'd be one thing. But it was fruit, for goodness sake. Just working on a well-balanced diet, Lord. Just one fruit that was forbidden. And they're cast out of the garden. That's what perfection is. That's the standard that we must live by if we're going to trust in ourselves to be righteous. If we're going to be righteous enough to get to heaven, the standard is holiness and perfection. Complete and utter total righteousness. And that is not the story of my heart, is it? Is it the story of yours? And the answer is, of course not. Of course not. And it's easy to do what the Pharisee did here, isn't it? We do it silently. He prayed it. At least he prayed it to himself, hopefully. But we do it silently. The standard is God's perfect character. And when I look at God's perfect character, what do I see? I see that I fall short. And I see the truth of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. All of us. All of us. Now, I, I want to challenge, I want to push back a little bit. Many of us say that we trust in Jesus' righteousness. We, we say that we believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but then practically living, we trust in our own righteousness. And so maybe here's a heart test for us today as we're talking about trusting in our own righteousness versus trusting in Jesus. The question would be, are you going to heaven? And some would say with complete and utter confidence, of course I am. But then I, I, I have the privilege to counsel with people sometimes when they're going through difficulties or they're having troubles and and I hear all too often, whether through, from church members or just from people in our community as I talk to people, and I ask the question, are you going to heaven? And they, sure, they say, man, I sure hope I am. Well, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, but I don't know that I've done enough in my life. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I just hope. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, God is really happy with me when I do this, that, and the other? 
When I read my Bible and when I pray and when I go to church and when I uh, uh, do all my P's and Q's throughout the day, God's really happy with me. But man, I have upset God royally because I have done this, that, and the other. And well-meaning and well-intended Christians or people who bear the name of Christ will say, I, I believe that Jesus died for me, but I'm not sure. They might even say, and we're, we're studied, we studied the book of Job this morning in our, our Sunday school class, and they might even feel some of the troubles and trials and tribulations of this world, and they say, is God punishing me for my sin? And that is a way of trusting in your own righteousness rather than in the righteousness of Christ. So you've got this Pharisee, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. But I do all these things. Aren't you happy with me? You see one who's trusting in his righteousness, and now we see somebody who God is truly pleased with. Which brings us to the tax collector. Think of the comparison again. The Pharisee, the religious elite, a respected member of the most honored social group, while the tax collector belongs to the most hated profession for a Jew. And Jesus takes the parable, turns it on his head, and we think we know where this is going until Jesus comes to the tax collector, and he makes him the hero and the Pharisee the villain. See, in the story, the Pharisee, he went home. He left the temple that day, and he was self-satisfied with all that he'd done, but the, the tax collector went home justified by God. Let me tell you something. I have found myself being satisfied with how good and righteous I am. And then I have also found myself feeling the overwhelming assurance that I am justified by Christ alone. And there is a huge difference. When I know, or when I believe that I am justified by what I do, it's always day by day. It wanes, it's ups, it's downs. But when I know that it's not based on what I have done, but only based on what Christ Jesus has done through His death, burial, and resurrection, then that never fades or wanes. See, the tax collector, he, he went home justified by God. Listen to what it says, verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off. The Pharisee went right up, right in the middle. The tax collector standing far off. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. I want you to understand what's happening here. The tax collector knew he didn't belong in the presence of the Lord. He didn't belong in the house of God, the place of worship. He didn't belong there because of his sin, so he came in there with a different demeanor than the Pharisee came in. See, the tax collector, he came in, he stood way back in the back. This is my place. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. I could just, can you imagine the shame and the guilt and the weight of his sin that he feels? He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, and he beat his breast. He beat his chest, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Be merciful. Ask yourself the question, which one is Jesus drawn to in this story? What's the answer? 
What's the answer? Who's Jesus drawn to? The tax collector. The tax collector. Listen to what it says in verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the Pharisee puffed his chest out. He thanked God for his own goodness. The tax collector beat his chest and begged God for mercy. The tax collector, he beat his breast. Why? Because he knew where his greatest problem was. He knew that his problem was deep down inside of his heart. And he called to God, have mercy on me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector, he knew the enormity of his sins. But the Pharisee was blissfully ignorant of his own heart, wasn't he? See, he thought he had it all together, and God looks at me and says, but your pride has blinded you. The Pharisee's pride condemned him, but the tax collector's humble faith saved him. Remember, what Jesus is teaching us today is about faith, a faith that saves, and the the kind of faith that is the doorway into God's mercy and His grace is a humble faith. A faith that recognizes my sin, a faith that recognizes my need, and a faith that recognizes that I have a great, as Spurgeon says, I have a great need for a Savior, and I have a great Savior for my need. That is the doorway in. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Being poor in spirit, being bankrupt in heart, acknowledging that I got nothing good to bring to you, Lord. So, since I'm not justified by works, well, the Scripture is teaching us here, and all through the Scriptures teach us the same thing. We're not justified by works. How am I justified? I want you to grab your Bible, and I want you to go to Romans chapter 3, and I want to walk through Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's bad news. That's the bad news of the gospel. Did you know that there was bad news in the gospel? There is bad news in the gospel. And the bad news of the gospel is that we're sinners. And we need a Savior. But it's immediately followed by really, 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 really good news. It says this. Verse 24 and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. There's a lot of big words in there, Ryan. Justified, redemption, and propitiation. I want to talk about each one of those words for just a second. Justified is a legal term. It's a legal term. In the scriptures. It's to be justified. 
is to be on the right side of the law and the lawgiver and the judge. And I want you to know that apart from Jesus, none of us are on the right side of the law, the lawgiver, and the judge. We have broken the law, we have rebelled against the lawgiver, and therefore the judge slams his gavel down in our case with a guilty verdict if we do not have Jesus. We're justified by grace as a gift. So justified means to be made right in the sight of the law, the lawgiver, and the judge. All of us have that need. Because all of us have sinned. And we need to be justified. How are we justified? By His grace as a gift. I want you to hear your justification, you being made right with God, has never been dependent on how good you can be or how good you can do or how well you can live or how, how, how few sins you can commit and how many good deeds you can commit. We can never be perfect. So what we need is not a seven steps to a better you, but we need to recognize our need for a Savior and trust in a Savior. His name is Jesus. God sent Jesus to live a sinless life, a perfectly sinless life. He never once sinned. Romans chapter 8 says God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And then in verse 4 it says, So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. God sent Jesus to live the law perfectly and flawlessly so that the blessings of the fully righteous one might be applied to us. Through faith. So that when we trust in Jesus, God looks at us and He says, I see that you have trusted through humble faith in the perfect Son of God who was given for you. And so I apply His life, His perfect life to your sinful one. I have covered your sin in His perfection. And so that now when I look at you, I see that you have kept the law through Christ. And so, I'm on the right side of the law and the lawgiver and the judge now because of Jesus slams his gavel down in the great courtroom of heaven and declares you and I not guilty. Justified. The preacher says, what does justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what Jesus does for you. How does he do it? The second word that I want to look at is the word redemption. The word redemption means to buy back or to buy out. To buy out. This we see redemption all through the Bible. I want to mention two of my favorite places. One is in the book of Exodus. We see God say to Moses, I'm going to use you, Moses, to redeem my people out of slavery in Egypt. Do you remember that? And so God does through plagues and miracles and through the death of the firstborn son and through the blood of the Passover lamb, God redeems his people out of Israel or out of Egypt. In miraculous ways, God accomplishes for them what they could not accomplish for themselves. That is a picture of redemption for you and I. 
We are enslaved to an evil master, which is sin and Satan, and I cannot break free of those bonds, and so Jesus comes to do for me what I cannot do for me, which is to break those chains in my life. Set me free. He redeems us. Here's the second picture that I want to think about for a minute. is the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is my favorite Old Testament prophet. And it is the, my favorite first three chapters of any book in the Bible is the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is about a prophet. And God says to the prophet Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. And if you're Hosea, you go, that's bad news today. And better yet, her name is Gomer. Can't get much worse, God. So, Hosea goes to marry Gomer. He brings her to his house. There are three children born in that house. The first one is no mercy. Oh man, I can't remember the name of the second one. And the third one is named Not My People. I want you to understand what's happening in that passage. It seems as though Gomer had a child out of wedlock in Hosea's house. And God says to Hosea, each time she goes out and she cheats on him, go get her back, bring her back, speak kindly to her, and bring her back to your house. Love her, provide for her. And in chapter 3, she goes out in one final act of rebellion. She goes out and she cheats on Hosea. And it, it, she, she finds herself at the bottom of the, the gutter. She's, she's sold herself into slavery, and she's up for auction. I know we have children in the room, so I'm trying to be kind. She sold herself up for auction, given herself up for auction. God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go. And I want you to buy her back. Can, I bet there was a conversation between Hosea and God. God, you want me to do what? Do you know how she has cheated on me? Do you know how she has treated me? All the, the times where I've been kind to her and loved her and lavished her. And then she goes off and does this? Yes, Hosea. I'm trying to show you what my love for my people is like. I love Israel like I want you to love Gomer. So go buy her back. So Hosea goes, searching for Gomer. And he finds her. I don't know. I don't know how he does, but he finds her. She would not have been in her best moment there. They would likely be showing off the goods that people are bidding on. People begin bidding, and you hear Hosea chime in in the bidding. And whatever the next bid is, Hosea outbids it. Whatever the next bid is, Hosea outbids it until finally, he says, I'll give a homer and a lethic of barley and 30 pieces of silver. That's what I'll give for my bride. 
It's a lot of money. And I want you to understand what, what God is teaching Hosea in the story is that this is what it costs to buy back what was yours in the first place. And God says, through Jesus, I'm going to buy back what rightfully belonged to me in the first place. We, we were God's creation. We were created in His image. We were created to know Him and love Him and to serve Him and to walk with Him. But we went out from Him and we cheated on Him. We sinned against Him. We rebelled against His love. Yet, God pursued us in His love. He came after us and He spoke tenderly to us. And when we rebelled and went further, guess what? God said, you cannot go further than I'm willing to pay. You can't outrun my love. You cannot outrun my grace. You cannot outrun my uh, mercy. And so he sent Jesus to, to be our redemption price. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1 says, We were not purchased with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the imperishable blood of the spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Go to verse 25, please. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. What does the word propitiation mean? It means it's a way to appease the anger of God at sin. God does hate sin. A just God punishes sin. For God not to punish sin would mean that God wasn't just. And so there is a punishment due sin. And the way that God redeemed us is by sending Jesus to pay the price that we deserve to pay. There on the cross, we see Jesus spread out his arms, be nailed to it, and then cry out with some of his last breaths, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was because there on the cross, God did forsake his own son so that Jesus might bear the full wrath of God at the sin of all of the world so that everyone who would trust in Jesus might not experience a single drop of the wrath of God. So God sent Jesus to live a sinless life and all of the blessing that Jesus deserved he gave to us and all of the curse that we deserved he put on his own son. Do you see it? So the parable says, is, is to those who trusted in themselves and treated others with contempt. Let me tell you, it is a vicious trap to trust in ourselves. There's a better way, friends. There's a better way of being justified. And it's by His grace as a gift. It's His righteousness attributed to your life. It's the blessing of God that Jesus earned being given to you by putting your humble faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I love what it says in Romans chapter 325, it says, to be received by faith. How do we receive the gift? His grace is a gift by faith. What's that faith look like? It's a humble one. It's a faith that knows your need and recognizes that Jesus is able to meet it. I'm going to close with this, this, this 
scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Understand today that, that our pride, as we either A, try to justify ourselves, or B, treat others with contempt, our pride repels God. It says that he opposes the proud. He stands against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But when we acknowledge our need, Jesus is drawn to us, ready to give us mercy and grace. I want you to understand that in this story, the tax collector is the hero, not because he had it all together, but he recognized his need. Ryan, I've recognized my need. I've trusted in Jesus. And I just want to encourage you like me, that it's easy to fall backward into self-justification mode and look down our noses on other people who we think we have it more together than they. And so clothing yourselves with humility, all of you, is not a once in a, a, your life thing, but it's a daily attitude that we put on. And just recognize that, that humility is the doorway to God's grace. God is waiting for you to admit your need, and He is waiting to lavish on you mercy and grace. He's not stingy with His grace. So today, I'm not sure where you are. If you're trusting in yourself, stop it. Trust in Jesus. That way does not work. I've been, I tried it. I still try it sometimes. And it only leads me to treating other people with contempt or feeling poorly about myself. But there is an assurance that can be found in Jesus Christ today that He wants you to experience. And if you have, fantastic. If you haven't, you can today. Would you stand with me? And as you stand, you might be looking for a good church to join. To see what that next step in joining our church is. We'd love to talk to you about that. I'm going to be right down here. But we would love to meet with you and talk with you. And if you have needs and you just like to lay your needs down at this altar here, please come and do that. But let's stand and let's sing together. Would you pray with me? God, we're all like this tax collector. We've sinned against a holy God. We recognize that our heart is not our greatest asset, but rather our greatest adversary. And there's only one who can take those sins and wash them away. And his name is Jesus. And would you teach us today, day after day, as we live with you, not just one time for salvation, but day after day, would you teach us that it is so sweet to trust in Jesus? Move among us now and in our hearts as we go forward. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, you respond right now as the Lord leads you to respond.